When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride here. We finally hit a bit of a lull in free agency, especially with how crazy the last few weeks in Las Vegas have been. And as always, I'm here to wrap up all the important news stories about your Las Vegas Raiders and, of course, answer your mailbag questions. As as your weekly reminder, if you'd like to have your questions answered on a future episode, either tweet them at me at mholder95 or email them to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com adamholder95 or sbpquestions1 at gmail.com. Lego! Alright, same deal as last week. I'll start things off by giving you guys some contract numbers from a few of the guys that signed last week but we didn't have the numbers for at the time. Tight end Jacob Hollister is getting a one-year $1.187 million contract which includes $26,250 fully guaranteed, a salary of $1.035 million, and about $75,000 in workout bonus. Defensive tackle Kyle Pecco has got a similar contract, one year, $1.085 million, $25,000 in a week one roster bonus, and a base salary of $1.035 million. Safety Deron Harmon will be making up to $1.272 million on a single year deal with roughly $650,000 guaranteed, $76,000 in signing bonus, and a salary of $1.12 million. Offensive lineman Jermaine Illuminor, another one-year deal for close to the vet minimum at $1.25 million, which includes $120,000 in the signing bonus, a salary of $1.035, $3,800 in per-game active roster bonuses, and up to a half a million in playtime incentives. Linebacker Jayon Brown will be on a one-year $1.25 million contract with $625,000 guaranteed, $125,000 in signing bonus, and a $1.035 base salary. And I believe that wraps up just about everyone that the Raiders have signed so far, including last week, of course. I do have something to admit to you guys. I'm an idiot. Well, I guess you guys probably already knew that part, but I completely forgot to mention Kyler Frackrell last week, which is even more embarrassing seeing as I wrote an article about him. But anyway... The Raiders signed outside linebacker slash edge rusher Kyler Fackrell to a one-year $1.035 million contract with $530,000 guaranteed. Fackrell should be used to the desert as he's originally from Mesa, Arizona. However, he did head to the snow for college at Utah State. As an Aggie, he earned first-team All-Mountain West Conference honors in 2015 and went on to be a third-round pick of the Green Bay Packers, where he spent the first four years of his career and had a 10.5 sack season in 2018. Fackrell then spent 2020 with the New York Giants, playing under new Rangers defensive coordinator Patrick Graham, and he was with the Chargers last season. The six-year pro brings 162 total tackles, 32 TFLs, and 23 and a half sacks to Las Vegas, and should compete with Malcolm Coots for that third edge spot behind Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. While the Raiders were quiet this week, they did sign wide receiver Demarcus Robinson. Robinson is from Fort Valley, Georgia, and crossed the Florida-Georgia line for, for college to go to play at the University of Florida. In three seasons as a Gator, he racked up over 1,300 yards and nine touchdowns, and he would have put up even better numbers had he not gotten suspended four times in three years. Regardless, Robinson is a fourth-round pick in 2016 of the Kansas City Chiefs, and he spent six years there before heading to the dark side on a one-year, about $1.2 million contract 
with a little more than $420,000 in a signing bonus. Robinson has 145 career catches, 1,679 receiving yards, and 14 touchdowns in his NFL career, and he should add some much-needed depth to Las Vegas' receiving corps. Picking up where I left off last week with our rundown of Raiders' unrestricted free agents, still unsigned and looking for a new team are running back Peyton Barber, tight end Derek Carrier, defensive tackle Jonathan Hankins, guard Richie Incognito, wide receiver Deshaun Jackson, center Nick Martin, defensive tackle Gerald McCoy, linebacker Patrick Owasso, defensive tackle Darius Phylon, running back Jalen Richard, guard Jordan Simmons, corner Jasmine Trufant, linebacker Kyle Wilbur, linebacker KJ Wright, linebacker Nick Wachowski, I don't know why I saved all the linebackers for the end, and defensive end Carl Nassib. A couple of now former Raiders did find new homes this week. Defensive tackle Solomon Thomas signed a one-year $2.25 million contract with the New York Jets, reuniting with his old defensive coordinator in San Francisco, who is now the head coach of the Jets, Robert Sala. Also, cornerback Keyson Nixon is reuniting with Rich Passaccia in Green Bay on a one-year $1.77 million contract. I do have a few league-wide nuggets of information to give you guys, and I'll lump one small piece of Raiders-specific news in there as well. ESPN's Field Yates tweeted out each team's remaining cap space, and the Raiders currently rank 25th in the league at about $6.4 million. However, it's important to note that they'll get about $20 million more once those post-June 1st designations hit. So, pencil the Raiders in for about $26.4 million in cap space heading into the season if nothing else happens. The NFL updated the overtime rules specifically for the playoffs. Now, each team is guaranteed at least one possession in overtime, regardless what the first team with the ball does. In other words, if the team that receives the kick goes down and scores a touchdown and kicks the PAT, the second team will have a chance to respond and can go score and then go for two to win the game or just tie it and it's back to sudden death. This would have allowed Josh Allen a chance to go down and score against the Chiefs last year in the playoffs, and it's an important distinction that this rule is only for the playoffs. The Raiders nugget I have for you guys is Vinny Bonsignor of the Las Vegas Review Journal tweeted this week that the Raiders are not ruling out a trade to move up in the draft. As I'm sure you remember, they gave up their first and second round picks for Devontae Adams, and it sounds like Dave Ziegler might not be done wheeling and dealing, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. Moving on to a couple of rookies who may or may not see position changes this year, Josh McDaniels was asked about Alex Leatherwood's and Nate Hobbs fits into the new schemes, and on Leatherwood, McDaniels said, he's an important part of it. Had a great conversation with Alex so far. He's excited. He played a lot of football as a rookie, and that counts for something. You know what I mean? And you can say, well, it was this or that. I know his second year is going to feel like his second year, not his rookie year because he was in there a lot. He played a lot of snaps. He played tackle. He played guard. And we're going to try and give him an opportunity to earn a role that's his best fit, and that's the best fit for the Raiders. And look, we know what he was drafted for, and we're giving him an opportunity to do such, but ultimately what we want to do at the end of the day is we're going to let the five best guys out there, the five best guys we can put out there to protect the quarterback and run the football and be physical. In a way, McDaniel said a lot there and a very little at the same time. It does sound like Leatherwood will at least get a second shot at playing tackle, but ultimately he's got to prove himself if he's going to hold down that spot. And it's important to remember that this isn't the regimen that drafted him thinking he'll play tackle. Hobbs obviously had much more success as a rookie and stuck at one spot as a nickel or slot cornerback, but he had he might have a more expanded role in year two. There will be an opportunity for Nate to compete at all those spots. McDaniel said when asked if Hobbs would strictly play be the slot cornerback again this coming season. We've talked a lot about that already, and Nate's a very competitive guy, got a good skill set, and we're excited to work with him for sure. 
As I'm sure you know, Graham's scheme is a lot different than Bradley's, and the Raiders could use someone on the outside to compete with Trayvon Mullen and Rocky Sin, especially since those two are on contract years, so there's some future value in Hobbs taking reps on the outside as well. The NFL's annual owners meeting was this week, and that's why we have so many quotes from McDaniels, and he peeled back the curtain a little bit and shared some of the insights into the team's draft and free agent strategies. If we can improve at any position on the team, we'll do so, but we certainly don't want to go out there and just, you know, draft for need or sign for need. I mean, if you make mistakes, you really don't make yourself any better, McDaniels noted. So, if there's a good fit at any position, offensive line, defensive line, corner, receiver, tight end, whatever it is, we'll try and make the team better in any way that we can. So it sounds like the Raiders will be going with the best player available strategy in the draft, which makes it a real pain in the ass for anyone who's trying to write scouting reports, trying to predict what they, who they might take in the draft. Not that I'm talking about anyone specifically, of course. Per the Athletics' Ferg Tafer, McDaniels also said this week that the Raiders are trying to build around quarterback Derek Carr and weighed in on the extension talks, stating, Derek's going to have to make decisions about what's best for him, and we have to try and do what's best for the team. There will be a sweet spot in there, hopefully, for everybody. Carr's agent Tim Younger chimed in on Twitter shortly after and said, Clubs always do what's best for the team in every situation. Players, even QBs, don't expect teams to do what is best for the player. Successful no- negotiations always end in a sweet spot. That said, our practice is not to com- comment publicly regarding ongoing negotiations. Saying you're not commenting publicly on any on negotiations while using quotes from McDaniels and representing Carr in the current contract extensions is an interesting coincidence, but to be honest, I wouldn't put too much weight into this potential friction as they are at the beginning stages of a negotiation, and this seems like two people posturing early on to me. One last piece of news before we move on to your questions. Former general manager Mike Mayock spoke publicly for the first time about his firing with Dan Patrick. Patrick point blank asked Mayock why Mayock was let go, and the former GM said, When I got there, they were a 4-12 team, and then we went 7-9, 8-8, and 10-7. We were on the nine-yard line in the playoffs with 35 seconds left with four shots to tie Cincinnati, who went to the Super Bowl, which kind of shows you how close the NFL is. I think at the end of the day, it's all about the owner has the final say. I think Mark Davis has the good heart. I like Mark Davis personally, and at the end of the day, he decided that me and Rich Vasasia didn't get the job done at the level he wanted it, or he felt that a couple other guys could get it done at a higher level moving forward. And I have to respect that because he's the boss. Everyone is, of course, entitled to their own opinions, but to me, I thought this was a pretty good answer from Mayock. He defended his work as the Raiders clearly got better after he got there, while still respecting everyone in the building, most importantly Mark Davis. Patrick later asked Mayock what's next, and Mayock responded saying, he's keeping his options open, looking into joining another club, going back to TV, and maybe even coaching some high school ball. At the end of the day, he just wants to be around football, and I love that about him. Here we go, mailbag time. As a reminder, if you want your questions answered on a future show, tweet them at me, adamholder95, or email them to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com. Again, that's sbpquestions1 at gmail.com or at mholder95 on Twitter. First up, and it's topical since I was just talking about Mike Mayock, will the Mayock interview cast shade on Mark Davis? I don't think it casts shade on Mark Davis. I thought Mayock's reply and answers was was pretty good that I just read, as obviously as I just said. You know, I think Mayock defended his resume. I think he defended what he built, because let's be honest, the Raiders were a lot better with him in the building than they were before he was there. And I think he definitely hit on quite a few mid-round picks that, um, you know, if you go back and look at this roster, even with the changes that McDaniels has done, it's still the, the core of the roster is a lot of Mayock picks, a lot of those Mayock guys that he brought in. And as far as, you know, casting shade, going back to the the original question, 
you know, I mean, Mayock literally called him his literally called him his friend and said he respected him and respected his decision. So I felt like it was a pretty fair response. I don't think it really made any difference in Mark, for Mark Davis either way in either direction, you know, cast a shade or making him look better or anything like that. And I just, I mean, I thought it was a fair response, especially considering I'm sure Mayock wasn't happy about getting fired. I'm sure he could have said a lot worse things. So I don't know. I thought it was a pretty good response. I know people have had mixed emotions about it, but what is Raider Nation without a little bit of argument, right? Question two, are Deron Harmon and Jayon Brown starters? Kind of an interesting question because I think there's no way that it can be both. I think with uh, the way the Raiders defense is going to be structured with with Patrick Graham, um, he, he's talked about this. He's going to run quite a bit of nickel and probably a lot of dime as well, which means they're going to take uh, a linebacker off the field and Jayon Brown probably being behind Denzel Perryman and uh, Divine Diablo, at least to start camp um, heading into the season. He'd probably be the guy that they take off, and then that extra guy could be Deron Harmon. So I think both guys could be starters at different points in the year. It could be a game plan thing. But I definitely think Jalen Brown is going to be is a great addition to this linebacking core. I think he'll be another good coverage linebacker. And he's been a guy that's been pretty good in the past. He was pretty good for the Titans back in the day. Um, so I definitely think he's a, he's a starter quality. Deron Harmon had a down year last year. Um, but again, another guy that I think I talked about this last week, he'll, he's going to let the Raiders play those two high looks with uh, Trayvon Merrick and, and maybe even unlock Trayvon Merrick a little bit, let, let Trayvon uh, be a little bit more versatile, maybe play in the box a little bit too. So I think it'll kind of be one or the other that ends up starting. Um, I think, again, it also will depend on what they want to do with uh, with Nate Hobbs, like we were just talking about earlier in the show. If they want to stick Nate Hobbs at corner, okay, then maybe neither Deron Harmon or Jayon Brown starts because Hobbs will be that extra defensive back. But Patrick Graham loves his safeties, and he loves his versatile guys, which Deron Harmon is. So I could see a situation where, you know, Maybe Trayvon Mullen doesn't start. Maybe Rockasin doesn't start. Or maybe those guys mix in. They do a rotation with those three guys. And maybe they put uh, Nate Hobbs on the outside and Deron Harmon ends up being that being that uh, extra defensive back when they go nickel. And then again, same thing. I still think Jayon Brown is firmly that third linebacker, at least to start camp. So I, I think there's a chance that both of them start at different points in the year, but probably not together, if that makes sense. Question three. How does Jonathan Abram fit in Patrick Graham's scheme? He's suspect in coverage and shines on the rundowns and getting to the quarterback. How does Abram put, or how does Patrick use Abram this year? And also, do the Raiders pick up his fifth-year option? All right, lots to unpack here a little bit. I'll start with the uh, the first question here. How does Abram fit in the Patrick Graham scheme? I think what you're going to see Abram play, or the role that Abram's going to play, is going to be pretty similar to how Patrick Graham and the Giants used Jabril Peppers where Jabil Preppers was kind of that that hybrid linebacker type of guy. Sometimes he'll be be deep, and other times he'll be up, lined up in the box, kind of a little bit of a wild card in that regard. Um, obviously, we know Jonathan Abram can't cover in the, the back end play after play, but I do think he can mix it in a little bit, mix in the looks, and I think that's going to kind of be the ideal role. That being said, he's not quite the athlete that uh, Jabril Preppers is, and he's probably not quite as good of a player as Jabril Preppers, so do have to tamper expectations a little bit, but I do think he can fit that role pretty well. And I do think he'd be interesting guy for Patrick Graham's scheme, just because of what I was talking about before with Graham liking to run a lot of nickel. Jonathan Abram can kind of be that third linebacker in those nickel sets, nickel and dime sets that I'd be, I'm honestly really excited to see him in or to uh, see how he does in Graham's scheme. Cause I do think this can cater to him a little bit. And then how does Patrick Graham, Graham use him? Kind of the same question. Um, uh, oh, the other point I wanted to touch on here was in the coverage. In coverage, I definitely, like I just said, I think 
Abram does struggle in those deep coverage. But one thing that I do like about his coverage is he's good in the underneath areas. Last year he had a bunch of plays where, you know, he'd come up on third downs and make a tackle right before the sticks or come lay a big hit and force a little uh, or force an incompletion that way. So I do think he can add some value in the underneath areas. But again, I wouldn't trust him deep as he's proven uh, proven time in and time after again. But yeah, if you guys are looking for what um, what Jonathan Abrams might look like in Patrick Graham's scheme, go back and try and uh, track Jabril Peppers and see how they used him. Again, I think Peppers is still the better player. I will say that, and he's definitely a better athlete. So tamper expectations a little bit. But if you guys want to see and get a little bit of a visual, go back, try and grab some, uh, try and grab some film and go watch uh, what Jabril Peppers did and how the Giants used him. And as far as the Raiders picking up Abrams' fifth-year option. I think that's a pretty much a foregone conclusion that it's not going to happen. Uh, it came in, or the numbers came in. He's going to be 7.9 million, so about 8 million on the fifth year option. That would be more than Marcus May, who the Saints just signed from the uh, Jets. Who, granted, has had some injuries over the last few years. Marcus May, at his at his best, is one of the better safeties in the league, or at least one of the better deep safeties in the league, I should say. And would put him a million dollars behind a guy like Adrian Amos. So that, to me, is just a lot of money to give Jonathan Abram, who, again, a guy that we don't exactly know what the what his scheme's going to or what his role is going to look like in this new defense, is a little bit of a question. It's a little questionable on how great of a player is, how valuable of a player, what position he's kind of playing, and he's got an injury history. He spent two out of the last three years uh, on IR, ended the season, ended two of the last three seasons on IR, I should say. So I don't think they're going to end up picking up his fifth year option. Now that doesn't mean they won't extend him. It's just eight million would be would be a hefty price tag to pay for uh, Jonathan Abram, in my opinion. Final question here: the real cost of Devontae Adams. I like the deal. However, if the swap had included Renfro or Waller, I would not like the deal. So, if the cap situation now means that they can't re-up Ren or Waller, it's the same as trading them, and then I think the deal is bad. At best, it's break even. Two prime picks, big cash, and a very, very good and ascending player for one uh, for one great player who's getting older. What say you, John and Asia? I'm an international superstar over here, guys. Well, I'll, first I'm going to back up a little bit for people who miss, maybe missed last week's episode. So one of the things that I thought might be a negative effect of the Devontae Adams trade and the obviously the big money that they're giving him is that they might not be, or they might be in a position where they might have to make a decision between Renfro or Waller. Now, again, I want to say this is pure speculation on my point, just kind of doing some mental math and thinking about this rationally. If we're thinking about Devontae Adams' big contract and then paying Renfro and Waller at the same time, that's going to be difficult to do. So I'm kind of thinking, my mind was kind of thinking that maybe one of those guys ends up being a casualty. So what I'll say on this is as much as I love Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, they are not Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams to me is in another stratosphere. Is to me that to me he's the best receiver in the league and has been in the last few years. Cooper Cup kind of makes that a little bit difficult, but either way, I still think it would be worth it, even if the, one of those guys end up being a casualty. For one, they still get this year with both of them if they want it. And I think this year the Raiders are definitely making a push to try and go for a Super Bowl run. Not saying that they will, but I think if they can make at least a playoff run, to me it'd be worth it. I mean, we've been Ra- I've been a Raider fan my entire life. And I've been waiting for a playoff run my entire life. So, all right, I shouldn't say that, 2002. But you guys know what I mean. So I think in that regard, if that the fact that they do get at least a year with all three playing on, if they want it, again, then to me that is worth it. Again, I'm a big fan of this trade. I 
I don't know 100% if Renfro or Waller will, will be casualties, but if one of them does end up being a casualty, I'd lean towards Waller, which I know I'm going to say very quietly, so maybe you guys just don't hear that part. But the thing I think we have to consider with Waller is, again, going back to last year, banged up a lot, getting towards that magic age of 30, and he is going to be looking for a big payday at some point, i got to imagine, because the guy is grossly underpaid at this point and still making a ton of money. That being said, I think you've still got to make this deal. I think you still make this deal every single time. If it's me, I'm still making this deal, even if it does end up costing me a guy like one of those two. Um, I think you can find, it's going to be tough, I think you can find another slot receiver in the draft. you got to remember, they did find Renfro in the fifth round of the draft. I think you can replace him. Waller would be a little bit tougher to replace, but again, that injury history, that's why I'm kind of leaning towards maybe you keep Renfro and try and find another tight end next year in the draft or something like that. But I do think... Um, you know, if it does cost them one, I'd still do, I'd still do the deal. Um, I don't know about you guys. Tell you what, sound off in the comments, tweet at me. If I'm an idiot, tweet at me. If I'm a genius, just make sure, just make sure I hear you at some point, some way, or email it to me and I'll read it on the show next week. Let's get some insights. I'm I'm curious for what you guys think. We'll, We'll pose this as a question. This time I'll ask you guys the question. If and if, we're going clear hypothetical, so before everyone gets mad at me and gets my mentions, if Devontae Adams costs, Hunter Renf- costs the Raiders Hunter Renfro or Darren Waller next year, what are your thoughts on the trades? Tweet that at me. All right, guys. That's all I got for you guys this week. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to follow myself on Twitter, AdamHolder95. Follow Silver and Black Pride. And as always, please rate, review, subscribe, and download wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, guys.